Oh, hey, Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. go. Welcome back, everybody. It is time for another episode of Runtime Rundown. I'm Joe. This is Evan. No, this is Evan. Hello, <laughs> Joe. Um, <laughs> welcome back to Runtime Rundown. We got a little bit of a different episode here today. We're 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 sort of going to talk about an article, but not really. Or more, it's going to be like dev dev chat. It's a fireside dev chat. Dev chat. Yeah, yeah, dev chat. Um, so feel free to just tune tune out now. Um, <laughs> unless you want to hear two <laughs> dorks talking about yeah. dork stuff <laughs> that could be the name of our podcast just two dorks talking about dork stuff yep uh, what's going on joe let's see what's going on this week uh oh i i felt like a uh, a wizard this week i fixed two of my electronics uh hard i felt fixed two electronics hardware issues uh not really well whatever it's fine i'm not that cool i just uh my switch controller had a broken um joystick so this is i guess a common problem with switch controllers is like was it the, drift it, uh, it was not drift it was, i think it was kind of related to drift but it was when you press in on the joy the like joystick it's supposed to you know, there's supposed to be a button press there, but it wasn't doing it. So it was like that button broke. Uh, and I, I looked it up and that's apparently a common problem that they, it's common enough that they will just replace it for you if you send it in, but then you got to like send it in for two weeks or whatever. So I went on Amazon and I got, uh, you can order like a two pack of these little, the, the joysticks and I installed it myself and I felt very cool. I, uh, it was not like, no, there was no, there's no soldering involved, but it was, it was cool. So that was one thing. The other thing is my keyboard, my D key on my keyboard broke. It was like half. I had to press really hard to get it to, to respond. And sometimes it just wasn't responding at all. And I was so bummed out because I was like, oh, am I like, am I going to have to get a new computer because my D key broke? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this computer is not super new. This computer is like a couple, of, it's like actually two, to like 2015. So it's, it's getting up there, but it's like working just fine. So, uh, so I popped. Did you say 2015? Like this computer is seven model. years old? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I got it in 2017, but uh, I wanted the older model because at the time they had the little thin butterfly keys on the mm-hmm. on the the MacBook. I could I could not stand those, so I got the the previous model. Anyway, uh, D key broke. I popped it off. Uh, I I cleaned it out in there. Still wasn't working. I was really bummed out. I went to bed. I woke up in the morning. I, w- I had this like this idea. I popped the D key off and the S key to see like the difference if there was a difference between another working key. And there was a little piece that I didn't notice that had come unglued in the D key. It was like kind of floating around in there. And I was like, I assumed that was sort of supposed to be like that. But then I realized it wasn't. And I glued it back in with a little, I took my little tweezers and I got a little gorilla glue and I, and I just gave it a little, a Q-tip. <laughs> this is good chat, Joe. This is good stuff. I was the electronics. I was like, Radio Shack should hire me right now. Anyway, that's my that was my that was my week. Wow, and it works. Good week. My wow. D key works. It is frustrating when the D key doesn't work. You, you pretty much use it for like all th- all things. I mean, any key. Like you don't realize how often you use every single one of your keys, and then one of them breaks, and then you try and CD. You try and like change directories, and you're like, oh no. I could get rid of Q, probably. How would you quit? Escape. Oh. 
<laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't quit you just escape yeah you just escape uh yeah but i mean that makes sense so good for you tech wizard guy who uh i mean th- it is smart to pop the other key off i think that's like a, there's something you can extrapolate that out to general troubleshooting uh concepts is like which is like you know you always find in software developers and stuff it's like well what if i well, what does the s key look like you know yeah <laughs> like how yeah, do i compare the- this against something that's working um, exactly and then figure it out from there yeah that's pretty yeah. cool good for yeah. you yeah how, how uh was your how how was your week my week has been this has been an interesting one uh it has been the week of i have come close to doing a good job and and then failing many oh. times this week. So it's one of these things where it's like we had a couple, you know, working on some bugs. I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it, you know, up to you so I don't get sued by Amazon. Uh, working on some bugs. And I was like, okay, I'm going to jump in. We're going to pair. We're doing all this stuff. And I've like spent multiple days and just don't get it. Uh, I still can't solve it. And then thought I had it, get really close, and then even say like, oh, I've got it. And then failed. And one of the reasons was for TypeScript, um, where I, the functionality was working, but I could not reconcile types. Um, and there was, there was third-party libraries involved and I just wanted to like set my computer on fire at that point. That is the most frustrating thing like that. I, I have a, we've, we've talked about this before. I have a moderate take on TypeScript, but that is the most frustrating thing when you're like, this code works and you just don't know it yet. TypeScript. And it's yeah. the most, couldn't get it by linting. Couldn't get, I could like it. I started just pulling in all the types locally and, and messing around with stuff by like redefining types, uh, that were third party types. So I'd like went to the definitions in GitHub repos and started pulling them down and stuff, but not, it just got, it turned into such a cluster F that, and it still was causing problems. Um, man, really frustrating stuff. So at the end of the day, I was adjacent to a lot of bug fixes, but not the actual solver of them, which is really frustrating when you come so close a bunch of times. And then I feel just like I wasted a week basically. Um, you know, you know, I I think I've had that feeling a lot in my career and I will say to everybody's listening, all, whatever of you, that's okay. Uh, It's going to happen. I mean, like it's happened to me before it's going to happen again where you just, hit a bunch of walls in like a week, a month. It's happened to me like a month straight. One time I just was like ineffective for a month, not for lack of trying, but because it's like, I just happened to get a series of unfortunate tasks to do or something. And it's like, every one of them was just a dead end. And, uh, it, and then it sucks, but it always comes back around. So I have faith things will be good again soon. Nice. Yeah. That's the, that there's nothing worse than, well, maybe nothing, not, maybe not nothing worse, but that uh, it's a terrible feeling when you think you've gotten to the root cause of something and you're like, finally, my, my troubles are over. And it's something you've been working on, especially for a couple of days. And then it's not it. Like you, you come back to it a little, you know, a little while later and you're like, oh no, wait, this is broken again. What, like, what is actually happening here? Yeah. And, and all this sort of comes back to, I could have solved the, these things in a shitty way. And I was like, I'm going to try and do this the right way. And then it, it turns into, you know, it turns a half a day into like two days. And, yep. you know, you call that out. You say like, Hey, like I, I could do it this crappy way, but it's very unlikely to pass code review. And if it does, it's like passing code review because we're forcing a square peg in around hole and it shouldn't be. Um, 
but then you lose those days and you think like, there's going to be a pot of gold at the end of this. I'm going to get it done and it's going to be the right way if I invest the right time and you get the sign off and you get the time and get all this. And then it doesn't pay off. <laughs> like it's, And then you still have to go back and do the shitty way, uh, yep. which is, that's just, oof. so when that happens, it's a bit demoralizing, but you know, this week will pass. So it will, it will, you'll, you'll figure it out at some point and it'll be great. And it'll be like, uh, finally, I did it. Uh, so s- technically we're, we are reading an article, so I'll ask you. Sounds good. <laughs> what, what are you reading? <laughs> I loved that. I hope our listeners loved that as much as I did. I'm sure they did. Uh, so I'm reading, we, we were talking about a couple, couple of things, uh, before the show, we don't have like one article, you know, I think you mentioned this at the topic to the top of the show. I'm reading this article that is called, so this article is called familiarity bias is holding you back. It's time to embrace arrow functions. So this is not actually an article that I'm reading, but it's an article, it's an article I read a long time ago and I was reminded of it, uh, when I was listening to syntax this morning, because they were talking about something kind of similar. It's like this idea of familiarity bias. So the TLDR for this article, or I will say the, the TLDR for the, the kind of like uh, the subject of this article that I find really interesting is that you uh, sometimes when you're faced with a new concept or like a new syntax or something like in the article's case, the arrow function, when that came out part of ESX, um, when you're faced with that, like, you might have an initial aversion to it. And you might be like, ah, this makes the code so unreadable. It's like, why don't you just use the way that we all know? And uh, that actually might not be the best thing. Like you, you, for, one, for one thing, you might actually, uh, it might lead to, to less buggy code. Um, but like really long-term, if it becomes part of the language, it will be more readable. And like, that's kind of the point is like, if you're familiar with one thing, don't just kind of uh, let that blind you to uh, a new the the new thing that that could also be really useful. Yeah, moderate. I guess moderate take on that is also like, don't just use the new thing because it's new. But I also want to say that you know don't just immediately run to new stuff because uh, yeah. it's shiny. You know, think about like a does your use case actually make sense? This so the article this article talks particularly about arrow functions. You know and when arrow functions came out, same with constant let, what I saw was that was all people used. So it, like um, it went from declaring your functions with the function keyword to every function was an arrow function, uh, like an anonymous arrow function for the most part. Yeah. And that was just like a switch. It's like, oh, we can do this now. It's way better. So then everybody wrote that. So that's like sort of the opposite of what this article is talking about is you're not embracing arrow functions. What I saw was everybody embraced arrow functions and they're kind of like they were added to the language for a reason. You know, one of the main reasons is this context. So you don't have like they they just have transit of this context. They pick up whatever is in their scope and that's super powerful and you it sucked really bad in React land, particularly with function that you had to like bind everything in the constructor. Um, so then, you know, with, with an arrow function, you could just like use it and it assumed the context and you didn't have to bind all your uh, like, uh, like key, key down, whatever, you know, clicks and stuff like that. So that was really helpful and it's useful for those specific purposes, but you didn't need to make everything an arrow function. 
So it's kind of like over adoption without thinking about what the use case was for. I still like function keywords and you still need to write those sometimes. Um, yeah. And like the fact that they're not anonymous is, is a big, uh, a big thing, especially when it comes to like react, uh, components, functional components, when you're trying to debug in, in the react dev tools and everything's an, an, an arrow function, it's like, you know, whatever const my component equals and then arrow function that's anonymous. Um, you need to define the, the, like the component name or display name if you do that, or if you use function the function keyword, then it's uh, you get that built in, which is which is nice. Um, yeah, the the article itself is a little bit weird. Like, it, not that it's weird, but it, I don't I don't necessarily agree with like every single point that the the author of this article, Eric Elliott, he's written a number of articles, and actually his articles helped me understand functional programming a long time ago when I was like super confused by a lot of the concepts. I feel like yep, his same articles, here. yeah, in particular, were like very approachable. Um, but he tends to have like a strong opinion. And and so it's like, uh, I like the premise of this article, but like, you know, I, I read, I reread it today and I was kind of like, I don't know if I like agree with every point, at least not as strongly as, as he is. But I do think it's, you know, I guess my takeaway from, from the article was that uh, that's really stuck with me. This idea that like familiarity bias might be holding you back. I carried that with me ever since to be like, whenever I have an immediate aversion to something, I might be like, well, let me actually like think about how this might be useful or how I might think about the readability in six months or a year from now, if I continue to see this pattern, like it might, it might be just fine. And I think that helps you be more accepting to new patterns and things like that. Yeah. So I think about this, uh, at the meta level with new code or new stuff that comes out. Um, so I've been like, you know, you're, you've been writing SAS for forever and then CSS and JS comes out and the, like, you know, not embracing new thoughts or familiarity bias with how you've been writing, um, SAS for X amount of years or something like that. It's like, Ooh, I don't want to do that. Uh, now, now maybe that actually makes, was a good idea for CSS and JS. Like maybe that's not a good example because I think we're starting to peel back a little bit off of that, but, um, you know, that is still the same thing where you go like, I don't want to do that because that's not how I've ever done it. And like, that looks shitty to me. And then maybe it's the right use case that I think the short answer here is like, uh, do stuff for good reason. Don't not do stuff for not good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. So that's I'm going to make a million dollars. confusingly weird thing. Yeah. I'm, I look at t- <laughs> this, like this gets me with stuff like Tailwind or whatever, where I, I see yeah. Tailwind and I'm just like, I don't want to do that. That looks yeah. gross. Uh, but then millions of people or maybe not millions, but so many people love it. And then I, I start to see lots of people buying into them. Like ah, I'm the outlier here at this point. Yeah, it's it's interesting. the The CSS story has changed a lot lately, and I feel like it doesn't change as quite as quickly as some of the JavaScript stuff. But like, you know, in the beginning there was CSS. It was like you know, just you didn't have any of these. In the these, beginning, yeah, <laughs> you didn't. That oh, that was good. Like, I should we should both talk this close to our microphones. There was CSS. <laughs> so uh, you didn't have any. You know, you didn't have any of these. Um, these post-processors, which give you a lot of power. And then there's uh, there's SAS and less, and those came out and they really, people really embrace those. And then CSS and JS and people really embrace CSS and JS um, or really didn't, you know, I think it was like pretty divisive at that point. But now I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast, but like the, the creator of emotion, 
one of the CSS and JS libraries, one of the really popular ones, has said they're moving away from CSS and JS at their company. Like they're like they're basically not going to be using Emotion at their company anymore. Um, and he wrote an article about it. It's a, it's an interesting article. Uh, and now Tailwind is like the big thing. And Tailwind, if you're unfamiliar, is a utility based CSS library. So it basically is like instead of writing all of your CSS using these custom class names, you just like kind of inline your uh, the class names that they use. Yeah, it's like bootstrappy. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they provide a set of utility classes. You can like generate utility classes and stuff. It's more uh, this powerful also, than that, I think. But it is definitely more powerful than that. Yeah. I, I don't mean to like make. <laughs> I just see utility classes, and that's sort of the thing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, this I wrote an article a little while back on uh, called "Why F- Grasping at Sand: Why Front End Development Sucks," and this brings me to this concept. It's like a lot of front end development is not fun anymore. And this is one of the things it's like, you used to write CSS, like you would style stuff. <laughs> like <laughs> I haven't really styled something except to like get around a design system in years. Yeah. Um, that's unless it's that for a to... side project, right? It's yeah, like, it's like an escape hatch now. It's an, yeah. You write CSS like in it, it's a red flag in code review. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, that's not all cases, but a lot of modern development is now some sort of JavaScript framework. Pick one. Uh, so like a rendering framework. Uh, like So a library, you have like a, a component library, pick one. A rendering framework like Next or Remix or something like that, pick one. Um, and then a design system, either in-house or open source, pick one. And like <laughs> <laughs> styling of some kind. And, and that is either part of your design system or like you're home rolling it. So that could be SAS or like, tailwind or whatever pick one and then be like at at that point front-end development becomes okay i am taking this concept and i'm composing it into the whatever components and trying to like squeeze at the term is bodge which is actually fit a square peg in a round hole bodge my design system into this thing that i need to do wire up some data and that's can be that's hard i'm not saying that's easy like you know doing this the right way is hard i'm not saying it's not hard i'm saying it's not fun it's like the imagine the imaginative part has shifted away from a lot of the visual front end, which to me was like fun to do. And and you had to like remember stuff and come up with ideas. And now it's like, well, I'm putting together pieces and I'm plumbing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's a lot of plumbing. Yep. That's funny. I had somebody in one of my first, so I used to go on these embeds uh, and, and, and um, work with a team for a number of, a couple of months at a time. And I had somebody on one of those teams, my first team, uh, who mentioned, he said the exact same thing. He was like, I used to feel like I was part designer. He was one of their like front of the front end kind of UI. He was doing a lot of CSS. He's like, I used to feel like part designer. And now I just feel like I'm putting Legos together and like not in a good way. Cause like Legos can be fun too. But he's like, I just feel like I'm putting, like I'm putting these little like blocks together. And it's just takes a lot of the like creativity out of it. You know, there's, there's a lot of creativity in programming. I think that like some people don't see that. Um, but I certainly have seen a lot of creativity in programming, but it's stuff like that, that I think can, for some people take a lot of it out of the, out of the, you know, out of the picture. Yeah. And there is, there definitely is a lot of creativity, even in the plumbing, like doing that well, um, is really hard. To, it can be really hard to do. I don't it's know. It's like those, just, it's like that, those like wiring pictures that you see, like, I don't know, I used to look, I used to see them on Reddit. I haven't been on Reddit in a long time, but they have those like those beautifully wired, you know, whatever, everything is super organized and color coded. And, um, yeah, 
it's just changed so much. And, and in my opinion, like not necessarily for the better. I look at, yeah. you go to a website, you go to a website like awards, A-W-W-W-A-R-D-S, you know, like the, the website that is about uh, how awesome other websites are. And there mm-hmm. are these, like, you see these just effing awesome, like immersive experiences that, and I think like, who the f- gets to do that? And, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming it's like an in-house developer at like Gucci or whatever. Yeah. Uh, gets to make that there's like three of them probably and they get to make some awesome experience bespoke for Gucci you know what I mean like it's just some some one-off and it's these like in-house developers and I'm jealous of that and then I also think the way that the mark weirdly the way that the market is positioned it's like doing plumbing at big tech probably pays like five times more than that job pays where you're like an in-house dev at a company that actually gets to do maybe some interesting shit uh, right, it's just so topsy turvy because they're they're probably doing. Well, it's different work. I'm not saying it's easier. It's it's like there's yeah. a lot there's a lot of different stuff involved. Let's not let's not sugarcoat yeah. it. But man, it looks more fun. Like way it more does. fun. Yeah, it definitely looks way more fun. And I think uh, I think having you know not that experience of developing in a place like that, but having the experience of having a job that is fun from the outside looking in you'd be like that's a fun job uh when it's your job it's not always as fun as it looks from from the outside you know what? <laughs> that's a good point yeah <laughs> when you when you mentioned the the this like you know these developers who are maybe in-house at at like you know uh fashion brands things like that um developing these kind of like really interesting immersive experiences uh my first thought was like well okay like that would be that would be really cool to do something like that. But then think about like, that's your job for your entire job. Like you, once you finish that project, then you need to like, think about you, you kind of always have to be on the cutting edge. And some people love that stuff. They love thinking about what's the latest. How do I not only like take what I'm seeing and do stuff that's like that, but like, how do I synthesize what I'm seeing and think about that? Then what's going to be coming six months from now and like design an experience based on that. Yeah. Like that's, that's a totally a different. Yeah, it's like a different skill set. It's a different problem space. But for me, that's a little bit stressful having to having to like constantly, as soon as I'm done with a project, having to like chase that next idea. And if it's not as fresh as the last one, you for one thing probably won't be uh, your client won't be as happy. But also, you probably won't be as happy with yourself because you're like, I know what I could do if you know I capture that lightning in a bottle again. But it's it's not always possible. Yeah. I, th- I mean, years ago, so like freelancing, you get to do all sorts of new stuff all the time. And it is actually really stressful. Yeah. Um, I was thinking like agencies, it was kind of the same idea. Agency, same deal. Yeah. Yep. You, you're just like spending, you're, you are constantly on the edge. The answer that I've gotten to this, because I've, I've talked to, gotten is not a word, I don't think. Um, the answer that's been given to me or that you read about <laughs> is like, you don't like your job or your job is, uh, not that you don't like your job, but you want exposure to new things. So do side projects. And I just want to say, side, great, do side projects if you can. Um, I hate that advice sometimes because like not yeah. everybody can do side projects. And also if you're working 70 hours a week or something like that when are you gonna do you're seriously gonna spend more time on your keyboard when you're done with your job like it's it's a big ask so i just also want to say like if someone tells you do side projects to like to like get back to your passion and development it's okay if you backhand them 
uh, in the face <laughs> because it's not fair. Like, <laughs> so it's like in order for me, so what do you yeah. like do, do like do more of your job for a side project or like as a hobby? Um, it's okay if I that's know. not you, like it's okay if your hobby is not programming. We did do an episode yeah. about like, you should be learning all the time. My preference is to learn on the job if you can, to get time yes. in your day to learn on the job. Um, you know, and, and if you can't do that, then it should be like specific and incisive. Like I'm going to go learn this thing, or I'm going to have like, I'm going to read for 30 minutes a day. That's an okay ask, but it's like, you know, spend a couple hours coding again. Uh, it's okay if that's not you. I, I always hear that. And I just want to say that out loud. Yeah, I think it's a really good thing to remember because we are constantly surrounded. You know, there's like Twitter driven development or whatever. That's like a phrase. We're constantly surrounded by people who are doing things that seem cooler than what we're doing. And it's it sure. can be really demoralizing. But um, that's a little like beside the point. What I was thinking about when you when you were saying like talking about side projects and people who say like, oh, just do that as a side project. I think there's something about having something as your job whether it's like a full-time job or whether it's a, you're working for a client and ha you have a deadline, there's something about that that is, for me anyway, maybe not for everybody, for me is it like really drives me forward. It like having this thing that I need to deliver to somebody by a certain date gives me uh, a reason to like keep working on that thing and want to make it really good that I don't have as much with the side project. Now that takes yeah. a lot of the pressure off when I'm working on a side project because I'm like, I can do whatever I want and I don't, I can do it in however long I want. So like, that's a different, there's sort of a nice feeling around that. But if I, ha if I like, I don't know, I really like that feeling sometimes when I'm driven by myself to do a thing that I'm like, I have to get this done by this date. Yeah. I also, so I want to say you brought up Twitter driven development. I had this thought the other day. We lament social media in general, but mostly like the Instagrams and stuff for, for creating idealized views of worlds that you can never possibly attain. Like people edit their photos and they're, you know, they make their bodies look better and stuff like that. Um, blogging, the blogosphere for development and the Twitter sphere for development is actually the exact same thing. So when someone like posts a blog post about some cool shit that they did, or like tweets about some awesome thing that they're doing, what you're seeing is their greatest hits. Like they're every, they're prop most likely, maybe there's like a 1% of 1% somewhere that's actually just like in some research lab doing cool stuff all the time. But for the most part, you're just getting like the highlight reel, uh, but you're getting everybody's highlight reel all the time. So everybody looks like they're doing awesome stuff all the time. But if you were to intersperse that and say like one person, what do they do day to day? Like that big project might've been six months of work for them. And now they're blogging about it and pieces about it and stuff like that. So it is also worth noting, you feel a lot of, I, I feel a lot of pressure from reading all these people's blog posts and like listening to syntax or whatever, where they're just like always learning something new or always pushing on some boundary. Uh, that's sort of a different example, but like also tweets about people building some whatever thing that's super cool. It's like, that is, it's a lot to keep up with, but it's, because it's unfair. Like if you, if that didn't exist, you would only be compared against literally the people around you. But now you, because of the fucking internet, thank you. <laughs> um, we are now compared against, you know, 8 billion because you have access yeah. to everybody who wants to be a luminary in the industry post about the best thing that they just did. Uh, it's exhausting. That, so it, yeah, that's a great way to put it. The, uh, it's like a, it's like a collective highlight reel but you don't realize it's a collective highlight reel. And like, 
you're comparing yourself. Yeah. Against everybody at the same time. If it was like one person's highlight reel and that person was a sh- you know shining example in the industry, that's one level of, uh, cause then you could be like, I wish I was more like that person, but it maybe wouldn't be as crushing as it sometimes is to be like, <laughs> am I just like f- so far behind everyone? This is, yeah. Uh, yeah. by the way, crushing is the right word. Yeah. Crushing is the right word. By the way, gotten is, uh, is a word. <laughs> really? You mentioned it that. just like, is I, like <laughs> low class. That's yeah, <laughs> well, it, uh, it's it's North American. So it's <laughs> I I looked it up and says <laughs> it's that pejorative <laughs> North yeah, American. <laughs> it feels like Google is is just twisting the knife a little bit. Uh, it says North American past participle of get. So I I, I looked it up because you said that and I was like I'm pretty sure that's a word. I was like if that's not a word I have been uh, oh I got some I got to do some changing. All right. So uh, one of the other things we talked about before the show was um, the new chat GPT, uh, you know, chat GPT beta. I don't know if Open you, you want to talk. Yeah. Did you, did you want to talk about that at all? Uh, I feel like everybody's probably going to release some sort of episode. Yeah. On that's it. how I feel too. And yeah, like, yeah. It's like, whatever. I mean, the you, you're going to see again, a highlight reel. Of yep. like super curated content of what OpenAI can do. And people can be like, look at me. I generated a, I saw like a video, a short where someone said, um, oh, I, I made like a node server in one eighth of a second that like generates interesting images from another AI anytime you ask it. And it's like already deployed to the cloud and it did it all for me. Uh, and I thought yep. like, cool. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's like, there's some really cool use cases, but for the most part, um, I think it's a toy. I think it's a really powerful toy. And if mm-hmm. used properly in a business setting, like have I, have I put documents in it and said, please summarize? Yes, I have definitely <laughs> done that. Is it going to take your job as a developer? No, I don't think so. Because if, if developers get automated away, that means every single other job in the world has been automated away. I think we're going to be the last to fall. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, this is kind of, I don't know, this is kind of what we were, we were saying before the before the episode, we're kind of like, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I really want to talk about this very much because yeah, it just feels like everybody has an opinion about it right now. Um, and it just feels a little bit like, uh, I don't know, a little bit crushing in the same way that like Twitter driven development is. It feels like you're like staring down the barrel of a bleak future just because of what everybody's saying about it and like whether or not that actually is going to come to pass, like who knows, you know, it might be, it might be the the same kind of thing as, you know, people, a lot of other technologies that have come in the past where people say, Oh, it's going to solve every problem and it's going to do it orders of magnitude faster. And, and all these jobs are just going to disappear. And then it's actually like, they, they it, it gets some use after a little while, maybe a couple of months, a couple of years. And people are like, ah, it doesn't actually solve the problems quite like we think it did. And it becomes a tool um, but there's no way to know that it could also be the, the next internet, which is, you know, when the internet came out, I think people were kind of maybe saying the same thing, but they were right. They were like, yeah, this thing is revolutionary. And it turned out to completely change the fabric of how we do everything. So who knows? Uh, I don't really like to think about it very much because it makes me a, very uncomfortable when I think about it too much. I think as commentary on this. Uh, a particular YouTuber that we've brought up in the past did a video on this, Theo PNGG or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. um, who I'm just familiar. makes him familiar. 
we definitely t- <laughs> the, the, the tone says it all um we've talked about him in the type of videos that he makes where it's like bun is the fastest thing ever and then here's my like server that returns the word hi and it look at it's 10 million times faster than if you did this in fucking deno or whatever and then of course he makes a video immediately it's like open ai is incredible and it's gonna steal your job and then he's like is open ai the best it's gonna steal your job maybe you know like and then he does this video where he just he's like watch what it can do and he goes to advent of code uh and he's like OpenAI helped me solve Advent of Code in the top 1% of speed of the entire world because he just copy and pasted the entire prompt into OpenAI and then, yeah, wrote the code. But it's like the, you pass it the most highly curated question ever in a competitive programming environment. Like that's, of course, it's going to tee off on something like that because that yeah. question in some derivative has probably been asked a thousand times and written in GitHub like a thousand times. And then he goes like, oh, also, I, I'm going to generate a header from my website in Bootstrap and Tailwind. And then it does. And then I thought like, it took you longer to write that prompt than it would to write like five, maybe five to 15 lines of HTML and yeah. then like some CSS and stuff. The whole, th- I was like, come on guy. So I think what we're going to get is a lot of that for a little while where people are going to be like, look what it can do. And they spent like 20 hours trying to make the most perfect example uh, on YouTube. And there's going to be some true masters appear probably where like people get really, really efficient with it. Um, but the average case, I think is like, it's just, it would take longer to describe your problem to solve an actual problem than it would to, to probably think about what you're trying to solve. And then you have to fact check the AI, whatever it outputs. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was kind of like where, where I came to. And see, now we're getting into it. Now we're getting into it. We, we were like, oh, I don't really have any, any opinions that are different. Now we're like, yeah, here's my opinion. Um, I, uh, it, one of my thoughts about this is like, uh, you know, it, I feel like ideally, if you're a developer and you're and you're doing your job right, you're getting paid to solve problems. Like you're not getting paid because you can write code really fast. And so it's the problem solving that is where the real root of the problem is. And probably, you know, tools like ChatGPT will probably help you solve problems in a certain way. Um, but you you can't just be like, you know, I need to solve this high level abstract problem that I don't already know the answer to. And it's not like a uh, leet code algorithm problem that everybody can, you know, that not everybody can write, but like if you have access to the right things to stitch together, then you can create it. The the harder problems to solve, I think are still going to be hard problems to solve. And this tool will help you once you've solved the problem and help you write the code faster and probably orders, orders of magnitude faster than, uh, you know, any kind of, I, we were talking before the show about like optimizing type with like, you know, you're like, uh, use a Dvorak keyboard or something and it makes you X percent faster at typing. Like it's the same category of thing in my mind, but, um, but I'm sure it's going to be a, much different than that. You know, it's going to be because, because the, the, the opt the speed optimization when you're actually like putting pixels to whatever, you know, <laughs> putting pen to paper. Um, the speed optimization there is, is much different from the types of optimizations that we can have now, but it kind of still feels like it's in the same category. It's also a premature optimization. Like, so I'm going to get, I'm going to spend time to go get good at using open AI. I can just get better at learning programming. Like, yeah, I get better at learning. my. I could go spend more time learning my language, you know, or learning a new language or something like that. 
Um, you're also going to hear, and I've already seen this happen, and I just want to also call this out. This is like the everybody just feel a little bit better episode because we're calling out, yeah. some, we're calling out <laughs> some horse hockey bullshit. Um, <laughs> I saw a tweet where this guy said, like, if you think OpenAI is a toy, I already use it for like 70% of my work, and I've been a programmer for 15 years. Call that a toy. It's like you're going to see stuff like that where people say mm-hmm. it's absolutely not a toy. I'm absolutely using it for production all the time, blah, blah, blah. Um, maybe that's true or maybe they're lying or diluting the (laughs) truth a little bit because what Uh I also want to say is like when anything happens, people want to be famous. There is just a certain type of person that wants to be in the zeitgeist. Like they want to be a voice. They want to be a luminary. They want to be famous. Listen to runtimerundown.com. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, that's us talking about chat GPT right now. <laughs> but we're also saying like chat GPT, meh, maybe. Yeah. But these guys are like, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And it's because they want to be part of them are going to be because they want to be seen. And like they're taking the controversial opinion. Yep. It's and that's not, how you get clicks. It's how like, you get them clicks. Yeah. yeah. It's the we same thing with with what you were saying earlier about the 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 YouTube video where he, where he's like it's going to take all your jobs and it's like that's going to get him clicks. Yeah, it is going to get him clicks. And whatever, like I hope people don't actually listen to it. With the thing like when you see oh, if people are actually using it for their job, you're going to feel FOMO. Take that and yep. crush it. You're going to yep. like I know for a fact and say this with the utmost certainty. You will go further in in your life and career by spending time getting better at your craft than going to learn open AI to potentially get, you know, speed improvements, because most likely your problem isn't that you have mastered every aspect of programming such that your only barrier to productivity now is how fast you can apply those concepts to a code editor. Like, I don't think that that's, I think that's a rare human where that's what's standing in the way of them and being better. Uh, Like, you know, when I see developers buy Dvorak keyboards as an example to like type faster, I'm thinking like, there's nothing else. There's no, there's no, <laughs> like there's, there's nothing else for you to fucking work on. Like this is, this is where, this is the final 1%. It's like, you're not making a jet car that's trying to break the sound barrier on land. And you're like trying to engineer the last tail fin so that it reduces drag by one eighth of a percent. Yet you're not that good. Like there's no way you're that good. Like you don't, you really don't need to do this. You do it as a f- for fun, but it's you really yeah. you're deluding yourself if you're saying like I am making myself more productive because uh, you're not. Like you'd be you're just not. Yeah, you feel like it though. I guess it's the same kind of thing with Vim. Like you feel more productive, but I actually think that comes back to like your your the the point that you made at the end of that, which is like it's more fun. And I don't know for me. That's the, that's the thing that I chase. It's like, I want to, I want to, you know, I do want to optimize, but like, I want to optimize for the enjoyment of the experience. And I think that that makes the end product better. Like, I, I, I don't know, even, even if I don't get it done, even if it takes me 10% longer than it normally would or whatever. Um, I think that, that that's a good thing to optimize for. Uh, yeah. Of course, the tingle, chase the tingle. Of course, I might be wrong, and and six months from now we might all be slaves to Chat GPT. Yeah, maybe so. Um, I did. So I have. I have. We're at like forty minutes already. I just yeah. want to say I want to talk about one more article. Oh, okay. I'll link oh, it in the show. Oh, another article. All right. Only only just for like a a segu or a segue, as regular people say. It's called <laughs> the TypeScript tax. 
And Ooh. we'll do it. We're still going to do a full TypeScript episode at some point. But Eric Elliott, who wrote the other article we talked about, Familiarity Bias, wrote this article called The TypeScript Tax. And it's really fucking long. Go, we'll, we'll, we'll do like a full, we should probably do a full thing on this article and other articles of its type. Uh, no pun intended. Um, but I just want to say that Eric Elliott, it's like a really high level thinker in JavaScript, big, big JavaScript guy, functional programming says there's some problems, uh, with TypeScript. And I just want to call out to the, uh, church of Latter-day TypeScriptians, the zealots, <laughs> the, the zealots of the TypeScript universe that some people think that there's downsides, um, and that's all. That's just a little tease. We'll do a TypeScript episode at some point, but there are fucking downsides. And Eric Elliott agrees with me. So I just want to call that. I feel vindicated. Nice. Um, yep. I don't, I, I, I've been working with TypeScript a little bit the past couple of weeks, just kind of on some side projects. And I feel like I've been running into your pain with the, with the, with the React stuff. Like specifically the HTML, it's like trying to type events that's oh. The, oh, that's the place that I'm like, do I really need to like, why do I need to, why does this event? Uh, it, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> that's the, and yeah, it, it's, um, I, I like, I actually like TypeScript. Like if I'm honest with myself, like going back to it and now after a while of kind of being away from it, like there are things that I really like about it. I really like some parts of the development experience. But like, that's not one of them. And I think that's, I think that's some of the stuff you were talking about last week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we'll do, again, we'll do a full TypeScript episode, but yeah, that's it. I just want to say Eric Elliott agrees with me um, yeah, a little bit and it doesn't actually reduce the amount of bugs that you think it does. <laughs> so this will just, we'll read, we'll do the article. We'll do the article. Nice. Um, all right. So uh, that was quick. Actually, we did, did a pretty good job of that. And with that, I think we can jump into what are you learning? All right, Evan, what do you learn? I think, uh, yeah. I think I went first in the last one. Yeah. What am I learning? I am learning the true depths of drag and drop functionality in react and how it intersects with accessibility. And the short answer is not well. Um, <laughs> so I just, there's a library that I've become very, very familiar with a number of drag and drop libraries and how they work. Um, again, can't talk about why I guess probably because of Amazon, just suffice it to say, we use that, uh, drag and drop is a thing that exists. And so I've been learning a particular library called D and D kit and man, it's just like, it's deep. There's a lot there and, uh, particularly like. And this is like anything with libraries that go out of the box, accessible, out of the box, keyboard, out of the box. It gives you all this stuff. It's not, it's literally, it's out of the box until you actually put it somewhere. And then it doesn't, it's not out of the box anymore. Um, like as soon as you use it in anything other than the most basic example that they provide, things start to get weird. And that's with it, like with all libraries. I just love when I read like, oh, out of the box, accessible, accessible. I'm like, you're, you're lying because you do anything with it and then it's no longer accessible. And then, and then they have the mea culpa or not the mea culpa. They have the defense of saying, it's how you implemented it. It's accessible. <laughs> it's accessible. If you just yep. use this to do example, perfect. No problem. <laughs> if you make a to do app, good. If you do anything else, it's your fault. Um, but I have been learning D and D kit and 
it's like the underlying concept of D&D kit and the code now I am like intimately aware of pretty much every line in that entire library is really cool. And super credit to Clauderic, I think is the guy person who does it. They're over at Shopify. I'm hoping Shopify pays them to do this because man, they're very active. Um, but nothing wrong with the library. It's incredible. Like super props for making this thing. It's also just been a huge pain in my ass because, um, <laughs> We like, <laughs> I'm learning a lot about it. We, we have built layers on top of it as always happens. Um, and I'll just say the intersection between that and the Apollo cache uh, has just been a big problem. And that's all I'll say. But uh, that's a learning a lot about drag and drop. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like, yeah, that sounds, I would not expect drag and drop accessibility to be easy at all or like, kind of even doable but like uh it sounds like people people are doing it and yeah that's that sounds like an, a really interesting problem um i am also learning some things about accessibility so i um <clears throat> i i saw this tweet a couple of like maybe a week or two ago from or uh, maybe even longer but uh from david k piano i think feel like i've talked about him before it's not David K. Piano is not the only person I follow on Twitter. Okay, uh, but <laughs> it just says one, <laughs> one follow. Yeah, but uh, so he has this tweet that that says React tip for most forms, you don't need use state or any hooks at all. You can read form data directly from the form by element name, object from entries, uh, and then pa pass it a new form data and give it the form element. He says you don't even you don't even need a form library most of the time. So I was like. That's interesting because, you know, I think for a lot of uh, for a lot of like, so I'll start off by saying like f doing forms is one of the most common things that you do in React. It's like one of the, I think, most common use cases for React, just like wiring up a form. It's super boring, but it's like one of those things you got to do. So um, and the way the way that most people do it, uh, you know, you can you can do a form with just regular React state. But once you get to a certain level of complexity, especially around like um, client-side validation and stuff like that, you usually will pull in a form library, something like Formic. And that's what I had always assumed. And I was always like, there's probably not a great way to do this without that. Turns out there is. So I like, I, I, I kind of went down, uh, did some exploration on my own based on this tweet. And I was like, huh, I want to like play around with this a little bit and see kind of like what's possible without using uh, any form library or actually like without using React state really at all for the for, for keeping track of the form values. So it's the the whole concept here is like an uncontrolled form. How much can you get away with? And it turns out a lot. So it's pretty cool. Like and, and the really nice thing is like it's all accessible by default kind of. Yeah, um, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. The, the the like the interesting thing for me was learning about the um the client side validation so like basically you know you type in so you have a, a, a an email address and in the in the form it's like you need to put your email addresses email address in I knew that you could have a, a, an email type so that like when you submit it's not going to let you submit without having a valid email address but I didn't know how you would do a, a message next to it so that like as you type you know it's like um basically the, 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 the experience that I think people are most familiar, like the best experience in that case is like you type something and if it's wrong, it doesn't tell you like as you're typing, cause that's kind of annoying. If you like start typing a, and it immediately is like, no, it's not an email address. It's annoying, but it's also annoying to like type in what you think is the right thing, hit submit. Everything looks good on the form. You hit submit. And like, then you get a bunch of errors or whatever. So I think the ideal experience is more like after you, after you, 
blur that. Um, yeah, it's that, blurred. Uh, yeah, that that input. So like once you leave that input, that's when you get the message. That's a good experience. So there's like a really easy way to do that with uh, with a little bit of CSS and um, uh, and that's basically it. You basically just you you ha- there's like CSS. You can chain a couple of these pseudo selectors. So you basically say input colon invalid. Uh, that will make it so that it d- and and like toggle uh, toggle your your validation message block or display none based on that. So like, are you toggling will, aria invalid as well? Um, I am not. Uh, I, I'm you not should doing be. that. Sorry, okay, yeah. yeah. So that's good to know. <clears throat> See, we're we're both learning. Well, well, no, I should say I'm learning more. I'm learning, <laughs> I'm learning no, right any, now. Any form element, or rather, widget, as they used to be called, right? Like. Um, HTML form input element mm-hmm. or form control should have an aria invalid um, true or false. Mm, that's it. interesting. Yeah. So if that specifically in that client side validation case, because usually like when you submit a form uh, and you do like server side validation, you'll get back. A lot of people will have like a big error message below their form that will say like something bad happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that's usually like a live region with like an assertive or something, you know, an ARIA uh, role assertive, and then it reads it out. But that the nefarious case is those inline form elements or form controls, like a text area and then a drop down menu and blah, 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 that are all could be pure HTML. But when those get client side validation, if you don't have ARIA invalid true and refocus them, a screen reader user will never know that there was something wrong until they get all the way to the bottom and, and click mm. submit. And it's still, they still won't know. Because um, it just won't submit. Typically, usually you have mm-hmm. some blocker with client side validation to submit the form, and then they'll just be like click, 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 click. What the hell's happening? And then have to go all the way back. And then sometimes when you refocus an element, it removes the invalid error because it goes back yeah. to like the ready state. And then you're like, what the f- is happening? <laughs> and you have no oh, idea. Yeah, that's so I just super, want to call okay, that. That's out. Yeah, it's a really frustrating yeah. experience. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good call out. It's something that I don't think I would have, uh, I would have like known off the top of my head. I think I know you are way more knowledgeable about accessibility than I am. It's like, I wouldn't say it's a complete blind spot for me, but there are definitely things in accessibility that I could know more about. It comes quick, I think. Um, and it's also like a pretty rapidly changing feel. And there's this hierarchy. Like, that's funny you say that to me because I feel like an absolute infant compared <laughs> to like, there's a, a person at work. I, I won't say their name, but man, the stuff that these people know about accessibility, um, particularly about like, there's levels to this stuff. One thing is the way that a sighted user uses a screen reader emulator is not even close to how a non-sighted user uses a screen reader emulator. They have like that person probably has like we do well-trodden paths to do stuff and they're you know a- very efficient and they're going to use that website very differently than you or I do where we're just like tab 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 tab. No one's doing that that actually uses a screen reader every day. Um, and then the other call I'll just now that I'm off in the tangent is there are many different kinds of disabilities and and or differently abled folks, you know, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure the exact best way to say that, but I would say in terms of like the law disabilities, uh, where we think typically as developers about sighted users and non-sighted users or like low light vision users and high, you know, and people with regular, I guess, perception of color, but there's a lot more disability, particularly like way before you get to the development process. So like you can make a form readable to a screen reader user. But if you've used minimalist to design and, and you're just like, 
missing a lot of uh, labeling to things in your website by design because you want it to look nice mm-hmm. and sleek. Someone with a cognitive disability is going to have a really difficult time navigating that website um, mm-hmm. where things aren't explicitly labeled and intentions aren't very obvious. And that's super unfair too. Like that, that just sucks. Like you've just now cut out a whole section of people who are going to not feel good when they come to your website because they don't understand how it works. So there's, there's just so much there. Uh, and it's something we absolutely need to be better at. Like all of us need to be better at. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And just in life, probably a lot of us need to be better yeah. at like just considering that because it's like, if you don't need to consider it, you, you it's, it's hard to remind yourself sometimes to consider it. I feel like you, I think a long time ago in one of our episodes, you said you wanted to put like a sign on your desk that says like, remember, you know, remember that you're not everyone or something like that. it was like basically remember that like your experience yeah. is not everyone's experience yeah that's true I, I feel like i just got soapboxy on the accessibility stuff so i apologize for that but um yeah that is the that's the line like you get the little thing in your desk that says like as a white cisgendered male with fine vision and stuff like that my case is like a slim example and it's really mm-hmm. easy like so just remember that all the time uh yep it's probably a good way to go yeah Cool. Uh, well, I mean, speaking of soapbox, we're, this is just one big soapbox. So don't apologize for, uh, for being on your, being on your soapbox. Um, I realized, you know, last week I realized we have, uh, we've always play, I always play the sound effects. I'm going to kick it off now. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the real nice one. It's the one we all, we just take it down a little bit, take it down to Foghorn Town. <laughs> Just going to let that simmer for a minute. But you know what I realized? We, I don't think we ever, uh, we never really like call this segment by the name that we talked about, like, you know, the first, when we were first starting this podcast, we we're like, we got to end with this segment. And this was your idea. Full credit to you. We got to end our podcast with uh, a segment called Sail Away on the Good News Cruise. And I feel like we never t- talk about the name. That's a good point. People are like, what the fuck is with the foghorn back there? <laughs> yeah, this is the good news cruise, and we sail away on it. Yep. Yeah. Every wow. week. You didn't yeah. You didn't even know you had a ticket for the good news cruise, listener. <laughs> Everybody's always welcome. Uh, and this is minute 54 of episode like 24. So it's unlike, and if you're still here, you're welcome. Now you get the Easter egg. Now you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> probably just wondering the entire time, like, I don't understand this sound, but I'm just going to let it pass. Uh, yeah. Cause whatever, but I, so I went first on what are you learning? Uh, Joe, you get some good news for me. I got some good gripes. Record. Oh no. Um, my dog got sprayed in the face by a skunk last night, two, two nights ago. No, I've been a party to when this happens. It's truly awful. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. She's, she's good now. She's, uh, uh, yeah, she's just fine. Um, it was so, I felt so bad for her because I didn't understand really what was going on. It was dark. It was, I was walking her at night and there was like a bush and, um, she kind of like dove for the bush and then she backed away and she was like shaking her head. And I was kind of like, what's going on? And then I caught a whiff of it and I was like, whoa, what? Okay. That was, that's what a skunk smells like after it has just sprayed your dog. Uh, so yeah, that was not a fun night for her. Um, but like we, as we, you know, I got right back to the house and we, um, we like washed her. So it was, it was really good that it wasn't like colder out and that it was not a, a miserable night, but basically we spent like an hour and a half just like 
putting all kinds of all kinds of cleaning products uh, as close to her face as we could get it. Um, and yeah, man, uh, that sucks super bad. I I remember I was oh, my friend has a golden retriever, and his golden retriever is super friendly and was just like out in the backyard. And then we went out because we heard a bunch of yelping. And the golden retriever had like sniffed the butt of a skunk because he was excited to meet this <laughs> and literally got it like in the <sighs> face and mouth and eyes, probably as, as your dog did, yep. but he reacted really poorly and started like foaming at the mouth and oh. uh, like had, it's such a bad time. I think dogs react differently to it depending on how bad they get hit. Um, and it was like a direct shot and man. What the fuck with skunks? Like, they, why do they exist? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of defense mechanism is that? You shitbags! Like, you, it's so terrible, and they just roam around our neighborhoods un unpredated. Uh, it's it's an epidemic. Yep, yep, that's true. Um, so that was my bad news for the week. Uh, how about you? You got some good news? I do. I read this story the other day, uh, and it has a it has a video. You could go look it up. There was a father and son. The son's a teenager. I think he's like 14 or 15 or something like that. Like a big kid. He's not a small teenager. He's like a very tall, big teenager. But that's relevant. Him and his dad were working on a truck, like a big truck, like a work truck. And his dad was underneath it when um, the block fell out and the truck fell on him. So the wheel was off and the whole truck fell on him when he was laying on his side. So all his son heard was just this like chortle sound Ugh. as the life force of his dad got squeezed out by like two tons. Um, and it was on three other wheels. So it wasn't like full drop, just crushed him to death, but it, his father couldn't breathe anymore. So he would have died under there. His son runs over and picks the truck up off his dad enough so that his dad can like shuffle out. But he, his son literally like runs up to the truck and just starts lifting it. And the, and his dad is able to shuffle his body up. But first off, if his son wasn't there, his dad definitely would have died. He, he, he like was in a compromised position, couldn't move. You wouldn't be able to breathe. Eventually, you just suffocate. The second thing is his son fucking picked a truck up off his dad. Like <laughs> it was, and it's on security footage. You can see him like put a leg back and just start pulling on this truck, and it's barely moving, but just enough that his dad was able to get out. Man, it was cool. That's some good news. Like. I don't know, it's just a lot. And then his dad, they did an interview with him. And afterwards, his dad's like, my son literally lifted a truck off my body. He's a superhero. He's my hero. <laughs> and the kid's like, I just, I just picked it up. I just picked it up. <laughs> I was thinking like, man, that was, it was just super cool. I love hearing stuff like that. That is great. That is good news and terrifying. Uh, oof, when I hear stuff like that, it just like makes me shudder because I'm like, oh. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's scary, but good news. It's, you know. Good news that it turned out well and that the the kid found out that he is capable of superhuman feats of strength. Yeah. Yeah. What's that kid going to do? I mean, that kid's going to like, he's got to like, now, now the weight of the world's on that kid's shoulders. He got to, he, yeah. he has to rescue some people. Modern day Hercules. He's got to no. figure, yeah. Rescue, he's got to find some people. challenges. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to run around and pick stuff up. That's just his yeah. job now. Uh, yeah. That was it. That was my good news. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. All right, everybody. Well, uh, go to RuntimeRundown.com and leave a comment if you agree with anything we said, if you disagree, if you got a question. Uh, oh, if you have an idea for a future article, uh, send it our way and um, rate and review the podcast. Evan? 
Yeah, just leave five-star reviews everywhere on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever else it is. Uh, that'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, oh, and we, yeah, we, I, I can't remember if you mentioned we got a thousand listens. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, thank you to everybody for <laughs> I guess, yeah. I don't know in, like, in context if that's good or bad. It's a lot. Know, Spotify, it's like- or Spotify did a wrapped thing and it's like, you know, we have a lot of listens for this genre. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, so thank you everybody for listening to all these episodes. We appreciate it. All right. Uh, I'll see you next week. See you, Joe.